welcome to the African American Hour. I'm Rosemary Onkwe, bringing you readings from the following publications. Huff Post, The Community Voice, The Root, Ebony, Blavity, and Scape, and Yahoo News. The first article is titled, Biden Student Debt Forgiveness Plan Begins, Not Ends, written by The Voice, or The Community Voice, staff, September 24, 2022. President Joe Biden's recent student debt cancellation announcement elicited a diverse range of reactions, some congratulatory, others critical, and still others that seem unsure of what to make of the unprecedented multi-billion dollar effort. Predictably, long-time education and civil rights advocates spoke to the need for additional reforms, while others wondered about cancellation's impact on an already troubled economy. Families struggling with the rising cost of living and deepening student debt have only a few months to make household budget adjustments before loan payments resume in January. The good news is that of the 43 million people affected by the executive action, 20 million borrowers will have all of their debt canceled. Many of these borrowers incurred student loans, but dropped out of school, left with thousands in debt and lower earnings due to the lack of a degree. Another 27 million people from working-class backgrounds who received Pell Grants are assured of up to $20,000 in debt relief. But these actions do not resolve the structural mismatch between the still-rising costs of college, limited family financial means to contribute to that cost, and the availability of financial aid other than interest-bearing loans. We've all heard of those schools luring students with the promise of big paychecks when they graduate, only to watch these students be ripped off and left with a mountain of debt, stated President Biden on August 24th. Well, last week, the Department of Education fired a college accreditor that allowed colleges like ITT and Corinthian to defraud borrowers. Our goal is to shine a light on the worst actors so that students can avoid these debt traps. It seems like a perfect time for the Department of Education to clean house of all the bad higher education actors, especially costly for-profit institutions that promise a lot but deliver little and accreditors that fail to do their jobs. On August 30th, following President Biden's announcement, the Department of Education took action against another defunct for-profit, Westwood College. This trade school lured unsuspecting students into costly debt from January 1st, 2002 through November 17th, 2015, when it stopped enrolling new borrowers in advance of its 2016 closure. The department found widespread misrepresentations about the value 
of its credentials for attendees and graduate employment prospects. Westwood College's exploitation of students and abuse of federal financial aid place it in the same circle of infamy occupied by Corinthian Colleges and ITT Technical Institute, said Undersecretary James Caval, K-V-A-A-L. Westwood operated on a culture of false promises, lies, and manipulation in order to profit off student debt that burdened borrowers long after Westwood closed. Now, 79,000 Westwood borrowers will benefit from a $1.5 billion in debt cancellation thanks to the department. Changes to Public Service Loan Forgiveness, or PSLF, program rules will allow borrowers that would not otherwise qualify to receive credit for past periods of repayment. Interested borrowers and their families can get more information on the program information page, but they must act by October 31st. Details on the time-limited offer are available at semicolon https colon backslash backslash studentaid.gov slash announcements hyphen events slash PSLF dash limited dash waiver. But individual states must do their part as well. Across the nation, state revenues are flush with surpluses. I don't think there's been a time in history where states are better equipped to ride out a potential recession, said Timothy Vermeer, V-E-R-M-E-E-R, Senior State Tax Policy Analyst at the Tax Foundation, a Washington, D.C.-based think tank. A majority, if not all, of the rainy day funds are in a really healthy position. Additionally, and according to the 2021 edition of the annual State Higher Education Finance, S-H-E-F, report, Shortchanging higher education funding at the state level will likely lead to worse, not better results. The report tracks enrollment trends, funding levels, and distributions of state institutions. Generous federal stimulus funding protected state revenues and directly supported higher education, reducing states' need to cut funding during the pandemic and short economic recession, states the report's news release. However, sharp declines in student enrollment and net tuition and fee revenue signal continued upheaval for public higher education revenues. Federal stimulus funding during the pandemic boosted state education appropriations, but only 8.9% of state aid to public institutions in 2021 went toward providing student financial aid, according to SHEF. And without federal stimulus funds, state education appropriations would have declined by 1% in 2021 if full-time enrollment had held constant, according to the report. States vary in their relative allocations to higher education states the report, public institutions in some states remain primarily 
publicly funded, but a growing proportion have become primarily reliant on student tuition and fee revenue over the last two decades. The report notes that while federal stimulus and relief funds are helpful, they cannot be a replacement for long-term state investments because stimulus funds are time-limited and often restricted in their use. If we want to end the student debt trap, now is the time for citizens to challenge states to use their tax revenue to do more for the constituents. This story was published by the National Newspaper Publishers Association. This article was titled, Biden Student Debt Forgiveness Plan Begins, Not Ends, written by The Voice staff, The Voice, formerly The Community Voice, September 24, 2022. The next article is titled, Tick-Tock Influencing is the New Small Business, How Wichitans Are Tapping into It, written by Celia Hack. H-A-C-K-K-M-U-W, September 30th, 2022. Like many sophomores at Wichita South High School, Joyce Davis has a busy schedule. She's a cheerleader and a member of the student council. She's a part of the drama club and the mayor's youth council. On top of that, Davis is also busy curating content for her 170,000 followers on TikTok where she makes cooking and baking videos. I came from a long line of cooks. My mom was a cook, my grandma grew up in the church, and she would just be making meals all the time for the people at the church, Davis said. And so I just started thinking, I can do that too. Davis is one of several up-and-coming content creators in Wichita who are capitalizing on the rise of social media, TikTok in particular. Davis, like many others, has been able to monetize her platform by securing brand deals and advertisements. According to a recent report, while the creator economy has only been around for a decade, the industry is one of the fastest growing types of small businesses in the country. Another report found the influencer marketing industry grew 42% between 2020 and 2021, reaching $13.8 billion nationwide last year. Micro-influencers are just going to become more important, said Ashley Abedini, A-B-E-D-I-N-I, the owner of Abedini Social, a social marketing agency agency in Wichita. The amount of return often you're able to get with an influencer's compared to paid advertisements is usually so much better. Davis got on TikTok in 2020 after her mom encouraged her to make a Facebook page dedicated to inspiring young women during the pandemic. I was like, mom, nobody's on Facebook anymore, Davis said. One day, Davis saw a video of someone recreating a meal from a Disney movie. She decided to give it a try and bake Empire Biscuits, Scottish cookies from the movie Brave. She made a video of the baking process to sound from the movie. It didn't go viral right away, but her second Disney cooking video, Spaghetti and Meatballs from Lady and the Tramp, did. 
It has more than 470,000 views. Since then, Davis has scored brand deals with Dillion's and been offered free kitchen products like oil and vinegar dispensers. She also makes money from TikTok's Creator Fund, which pays influencers per view on their videos. TikTok has not announced exactly how much it pays, but some creators have estimated that it's between two and four cents per 1,000 views. It has been pretty profitable for my age, Davis said. While Davis's account is not a full-time job, others have turned their social media pages into sustainable businesses. Lisa Nguyen, N-G-U-Y-E-N, transitioned from working as a paralegal to running social media for restaurants in Wichita in 2018. When the pandemic hit in 2020, she started making content about cooking on her personal social media pages, and pretty soon her videos blew up with followers. Nguyen's TikTok page has 3 million followers. In addition to brand deals on YouTube and TikTok, she wants to expand her business by selling her own products, like hot sauce or chili oils. She also hopes to hire an assistant to help her edit videos. Last year with everything, I was able to pay off student loans and credit card debt, said Nguyen, who moved from Wichita to Kansas City last year. Why are companies turning to influencers? Abedeni said that they can offer something most companies can't, authenticity. Those influencers, the people that follow them, they love them, Abedini said. They follow them because they think they are authentic. And it's hard to buy that authenticity with an ad. Brianna Anderson owns Beast Analytics in Wichita, a digital marketing strategy firm. She said advertising that features humans instead of just products normally has more impact. We do know that content with a face in it generally performs like three times better, Anderson said. So I'd imagine that a whole personality would be the same. But running a TikTok page is not easy. The most important thing, Anderson, Abedini, and Davis all said the same thing. Be consistent. Posting constant content is doable for Nguyen, who uploads one to three short videos a day. But Davis says it's tricky to fit it alongside school and extracurriculars. What she does know, though, is the following she built will be part of her entrepreneurial future. And where she can, she hopes the page will inspire other young people to pursue their business ideas. I kind of want to uplift other young people and let them know that they can do the same things I'm doing, Davis said. Story provided with our thanks by Celia Hack with KMU. The Voice, September 30th, 2022. The next article is titled, Gangsta Paradise Rapper Coolio Dead at 59, written by Josephine Harvey, Huff Post, September 29th, 2022. Rapper Coolio died on Wednesday in Los Angeles. According to reports, he was 59. The Grammy winner was found dead in the bathroom of a friend's house, TMZ reported. According to TMZ, the rapper, record producer, and actor, 
whose legal name was artist Leon Ivy Jr., was visiting a friend Wednesday afternoon and went to the bathroom. After staying inside for an extended period, the friend went inside and found him on the floor. Julio's manager, Jarez Posey, confirmed the rapper's death to Rolling Stone, but did not provide further details. The friend reportedly called EMTs, who arrived and pronounced the musician dead on the scene from what they suspected was cardiac arrest. An official cause of death has not been stated. A Los Angeles Police Department spokesperson said Wednesday evening that the department was conducting a death investigation at an address in the West Adams neighborhood near downtown Los Angeles, but could not disclose the identity of the deceased. The death did not appear suspicious, and the case was handed over to the Los Angeles County Coroner's Office, the spokesperson said. Coolio, a Los Angeles area native, is best known for his 1995 Grammy-winning hit, Gangsta Paradise, which topped the U.S. charts that year and remains one of the best-selling singles of all times. The song was featured in the 1995 film Dangerous Minds, but was not eligible for an Oscar nomination because of its use of sampling and reworked material. It won the 1996 Grammy Award for Best Rap Solo Performance. This article is titled Gangsta Paradise Rapper Coolio Dead at 59 by Josephine Harvey, Huff Post, September 29th, 2022. The next article is titled Is There Anything Serena Williams Can't Do? Written by Angela Johnson, The Root, September 28th, 2022. Just two weeks ago, we told you that Serena Williams was heating up the runway at New York's Fashion Week with her latest S by Serena collection. Now it looks like the tennis star is on her way to becoming a best-selling children's book author. Serena Williams released her first picture book, The Adventures of Quay Quay, Q-A-I-Q-A-I, this week on Amazon and fans were here for it. The book instantly became an Amazon number one bestseller. And because you're going to want to get a copy for every young girl in your life, I have to tell you, there's a doll too. The Adventures of Quay Quay tells the story of a little girl who's worried about performing in an upcoming dance recital. But when her best friend, Quay Quay, comes to life, the two go on an adventure to help her find the confidence she needs. The inspiration for the main character came from one of Williams's daughter, Olympia's real-life favorite things, her doll, Quay Quay. has been one of Olympia's constant companions, and as the pair have traveled, Serena and her husband, Alexis Ohanian, O-H-A-N-I-A-N, we're surprised to see the doll's popularity grow with fans online. Quay even has her own Instagram account, which has 336,000 loyal followers to date. In 2021, Ohanian told People he loves that other kids have connected with his daughter's best friend. I think there's a lot of people who have resonated 
with this idea of a really mischievous, fun, clever, brave, and strong little girl doll. And I'm excited to see all the places she goes. And I do hope it can inspire kids, boys, girls, black, white, all over the world to just have fun and dream. Williams hopes her new book will help young readers learn the power of believing yourself. Kwekwe is a special member of our family, and we hope the adventures of Kwekwe will give others a new way to welcome Kwekwe into their own home, she said. This article was titled, Is There Anything Serena Williams Can't Do? Written by Angela Johnson, The Root, September 28th, 2022. The next article is titled, Can Eritrean, E-R-I-T-R-E-A-N, Cyclist, Binyam Jirmai, B-I-N-I-A-M-G-I-R-M-A-Y, Become the Face of African Cycling. Written by Wilco Martinez Cachero. W-I-L-K-O Martinez hyphen Cachero C-A-C-H-E-R-O and Scape, September 26, 2022. Though only 22 years old, cyclist Binyam Jirmai of Eritrea carries a lot of potential and expectations, not only for himself, but for the sport as it relates to the African continent. Cycling has long been a predominantly white sport, and it continues to be. No black riders competed at this year's Tour de France, the sport's premier event. In recent years, though, Africa has started to emerge as a player in the cycling world. The UCI Road World Championships will take place in Rwanda in 2025 and ideally serve as a crowning moment for the sport's breakthrough in Africa. In May, Jermai became the first black African rider to win a Grand Tour stage in the Giro d'Italia. On Sunday, Jermai competed at the World Championship in Australia, representing the Eritrean national team. Although an outsider, Jermai's name was whispered among the favorites. Instead, Remco Evani Powell, R-E-M-C-O-E-V-E-N-E-P-O-E-L of Belgium, decisively won the race, completing a rarely seen Grand Tour World Double. He also won the Vuelta a España this year. Evani Powell is 22, the same age as Germain, which begs the question, is it time to take the training wheels off the Eritrean rider? Germain was one of the few riders to beat Evenenpol at the youth level. But years later, the gap between the two has widened. Until now, Germain has only raced in one Grand Tour race, and he won a stage, although he promptly had to retire from the Giro after hitting himself in the eye with a Prosecco cork while celebrating his victory. He is yet to compete in the Vuelta or Tour de France, which was won as recently as two years ago by Tadej Pogokar, T-A-D-E-J, 
P-O-G-A-C-A-R, Cycling's Slovenian Young Star at age 21. Yet Germay remains his country and continent's most important rising star. Germay's success is more remarkable when you consider the circumstances of his home country. Eritrea, a country the size of Pennsylvania, its population has had to deal with power shortages, scarce drinking water, and soaring food prices. Most are reported to live below the poverty line. Society is militarized and volatile, with Eritrea again embroiled in conflict with neighboring Ethiopia as recently as this week. When it comes to cycling, Eritrea is Africa's powerhouse, has quietly been the case going back nearly a hundred years. Thousands of people gather every weekend in the city center of Asmara, Eritrea's capital city, to watch local bike races. Youngsters and adults race on whatever bikes they can get their hands on, ranging from more professional bikes sold by established Eritrean riders who are visiting from abroad to dinkier, do-it-yourself rides with flat handlebars, thick tires, and custom seats. The streets are just full of people, said Georgia Cole, a fellow at Scotland's University of Edinburgh who researches Eritrea. Cycling is this haven of normality and excitement amidst this tragic deterioration within the country. Before the coronavirus pandemic, Cole said she visited Eritrea five times in eight years, but said she has not been allowed back since. Cycling was first widely introduced in Eritrea when the country was under Italian rule in 1905. Even today, the word for bicycle in one of Eritrea's most spoken languages, Tigrinya, is straight from Italian, bicicletta. The sport was initially exclusively for Italian, the repercussions of which are still arguably felt today across cycling. But Eritreans quickly displayed potential once granted the right to compete in some of the races starting in the mid-1930s. In 1939, a special race was arranged, ostensibly, to display Italian superiority. But instead, an Eritrean named Gebremarian Grebru, G-H-E-B-R-E-M-A-R-I-A-M, G-H-E-B-R-U, won the race. Stories about Welda Michael Ashegdom, W-E-L-D-E-M-I-C-H-A-E-L-A-S-G-H-E-D-O-M, the country's first cycling superstar, years later, are still fondly told across Eritrea today. Nicknamed Baberi, after a local hot pepper, Italian riders apparently found him too hot to handle. It is not uncommon, Cole said, for kids in Eritrea today to believe their idols are accessible. Eritreans commonly gather to watch cycling's best European races, the Tour de France, Giro d'Italia, Vuelta a España, and then see local prospects like Jeremy training for those competitions when they return home. It's not rare to catch a glimpse, 
which is really inspiring, I'm sure, for young people who are all cycling on familiar, similar roads, she said. But the journey that took Germain from his hometown of Asmara to the World Championships in Wollongong, Australia, was far from straightforward. Even now, leaving Eritrea for better training and opportunity is daunting for many prospects. Cole said that other countries are often hesitant to grant Eritrean athletes visas because they think Eritreans might be trying to escape the dire situation back home. In 2019, four Eritrean soccer players defected while on a trip abroad, and the country's entire national soccer team did so in 2012. Cycling is still at a time when a rider from Africa has a lot more logistics, said Aike Vishbeek, A-I-K-E-V-I-S-B-E-E-K, the sporting director of Germay's current team, Intermarché, Wanti Gobert. This means that opportunities for Africa's best can be limited. Even Germay, Vishbeek said, tends to face a lengthy process when waiting to see if he can enter other countries. If you want to be professional, you must be in Europe, said Benjamin Girard, a French former cyclist who worked with Germain in 2020 and 2021. But sometimes being there is impossible. Eight years ago, three Eritrean cyclists were denied visas to train at the UCI's Countryside Training Center in Switzerland, the same center that Germain would eventually use after moving to Europe in 2018. Other obstacles beyond the rider's control persist. For example, COVID-19 requirements also hinder how or if Eritreans can move around the world since the country has no existing vaccination campaign. Benjamin Girard, a French formal professional cyclist, first noted Germain at a competition in Gabon in 2019. In a tricky stage of the race, Girard saw Germain's best 11-time Tour de France stage winner, André Grippel, G-R-E-I-P-E-L. Their paths crossed again a year later when Girard retired as a cyclist and joined second division French team Delco as a sporting director. The team signed Germain, fresh off his stint training in Switzerland, to his first professional contract. That January, Girard says Delco asked the newly signed Germain to report to their base near Marcel's in the south of France. It was winter and freezing cold. He came in shorts, t-shirt, and nothing more, Gerald said chuckling. Germain's two developmental years with Delco before the team closed in 2021 because of financial difficulties allowed him to adjust to European cycling. Races in Europe typically rely more on strategy, and the narrower roads mean more technical courses for the riders. The Eritrean rider had offers from some cycling's biggest and wealthiest teams, but signed with Intermarché, Wanti Gobert, a Belgian team with the world's tour's smallest budget. This speaks pitch 
was that Intermarché could provide more opportunities for Germain, exactly because the team didn't have the money to attract the same names he would be behind other squads. Germain was sold on the offer, and the team has worked closely with him since to help him peak at the right time and relieve the attention around him. Soon after joining during last year's World Championships in Belgium, Germain finished second in the U23 men's road race. There are races where we are pretty sure he can ride for the victory and races where he goes as an investment, Visbeek says. But some of the races we thought were an investment, he's already riding for a result. That's the good part about his development. But even though that development has yet to truly hit the big stage, the belief in Germain's future remains strong. Wilco Martinez Cachero is a Los Angeles-based journalist and audio producer from Madrid, Spain. He covers the intersection between sports and society. The next article is an opinion piece from News One titled, Extending Postpartum Medicaid Coverage is More Important to Addressing the Black Maternal Health Crisis, written by Angela Grayson, G-R-A-Y-S-O-N, News One, October 1st, 2022. After one of my pregnancies, I found myself listlessly counting down the days that passed after giving birth to my daughter. At the time, I could not explain what fueled my low feelings and emotions. Later on, after I had gained access to high-quality care, I was able to recognize my countdowns as coping mechanisms while I experienced undiagnosed postpartum depression. At the time, I did not know because due to barriers like not having Medicaid for more than 60 days after my delivery, I could not access a provider who could help me navigate my postpartum mental health. My experiences mirrors that of thousands of Black women who remain unable to access high-quality postpartum care due to barriers such as Medicaid expansion limits after their pregnancies. As Director of Advocacy and Outreach at the Lighthouse Black Girl Projects, I work with colleagues and activists to improve health care equity for Black women in Mississippi. That is why the Lighthouse Black Girls Projects decided to get 100 women to stand in solidarity and commit to direct action at the Capitol to help propel the Mississippi legislature to reintroduce legislation to extend postpartum Medicaid coverage from 60 days to 12 months. The legislation will help to protect the moms who need health care access the most. The Black maternal health crisis continues to proliferate across the nation. Black women, more pregnancy complications, and a higher maternal morality rate than white women. Black women are five times more likely to report having unmet postpartum needs and twice as likely to report having postpartum depression compared to white mothers. Having higher education and income does not protect black women from tragic pregnancy and postpartum outcomes. 
it remains a race and gender issue. Mississippi has particularly poor Black maternal health outcomes. The state's overall maternal morality rate is double the U.S. average, and within that context, Black women have triple the maternal morality rate of white women in the state. Nearly 20% of women in Mississippi do not have insurance, nor do they get postpartum care. Between 2013 and 2016, 86% of the 136 women who died from pregnancy-related causes died during postpartum. Expanding Medicaid's access through SB 2033 would save lives. Legislators and community members alike must appreciate that access to high-quality health care during postpartum remains one of the most critical tools for improving Black maternal morality rates in Mississippi. Yet the state continues to limit Medicaid coverage for new moms. SB 2033 was initially introduced in 2021 and passed the Senate in 2022. Initially, SB 2033 was stalled in the House's Medicaid Committee. When that happened, activists at the Lighthouse set up digital days of action, town hall meetings, and more to push people to contact Medicaid Committee Chair Joey Hood and urge him to move the bill to the Senate floor. Our efforts paid off, but the House delayed the bill until the calendar deadline which effectively killed it on May 9, 2022. Philip Gunn, the Speaker of the House rational, his anti-Medicaid expansion sentiments, even though Medicaid finances 60% of births in Mississippi, this bill must be reintroduced and passed. We believe this legislation remains one of the strongest tools available to directly improve maternal health for Black mothers. On September 27th, the Senate Committee on Women, Family, and Child hosted a Senate hearing on maternal health. Our members, along with members of other Black women-led organizations, attended and demonstrated the importance of this legislation. This article is titled, Extending Postpartum Medicaid Coverage is Important to Addressing the Black Maternal Health Crisis. This is an opinion piece written by Angela Grayson, posted October 1st, 2022. The next article is on the cover of Ebony, September, October, 2022, cover story, Ciara's Divine Mission, written by Maya Allen. It's been 18 years since Ciara stepped onto the music scene. The entertainer quickly gained worldwide recognition after her first single, Goodies, went triple platinum and has been gifting the world with her music ever since. Although the global icon is R&B royalty, she feels like she's just getting started. Draped in creations from designers like Dolce & Gabbana, Sakai, Laquan Smith, and more for Ebony's September cover shoot, Ciara radiates confidence and power. On a Zoom call, she logs on from an unlit room in the Denver home she shares with her husband, NFL quarterback Russell Wilson, and her three children. 
future, Sienna, and Wynne. Her warm smile, fresh face, and soft waves complement her calm, optimistic aura. It's evident that the 36-year-old mother, wife, and entrepreneur is comfortable in her own skin. Seven full albums, 23 million sales, and over 36 million and counting Instagram followers later, the megastar still has momentum. In this new chapter of her life, she's in control. Her upcoming eighth album is complete, and her ascension into an innovative fashion, beauty, and business module is in full force. She's spearheading several successful ventures, including her new skincare brand, On a Mission, OAM for short, her very own clothing line, Lita, L-I-T-A, by Sierra, and the house of L-R-N-C, a sustainable fashion house she co-founded with her husband in 2020. Sierra gets candid about her family, faith, and finding beauty in the struggles. She shares the power of manifesting your dreams and speaking things into existence, a practice that has helped her master the art of longevity and build a lasting legacy. Ebony, was there a defining moment in your childhood that inspired you to go after your dreams of becoming an entertainer? Ciara, I remember watching Michael Jackson on television, performing rock with you. He had that smile and was grooving in his shiny pants. And I remember being in my living room in Decatur, Georgia. And I was like, oh, I'm going to do that. It was definitive. That moment made me feel like I knew in my soul I had something special. I was 13 years old at the time, and I really went after it. I created a goal sheet, and my first goal was to get discovered. And then once I got discovered, my next goal was to sell three to four million albums. And my third goal was to have longevity. Talk about manifestation. Little me was writing this down. I signed my first major recording contract when I was 16 years old. And I put out my first album fresh out of high school. So now I sit here years later looking back on my goal sheet I created as a little girl. My first album, I wanted to sell 3 to 4 million albums. I not only sold 3 to 4 million, I sold 5 million. And my third goal was to have longevity. It's been 18 years since my first album, and I still feel like I'm just getting started. Being in the spotlight comes with so much scrutiny. What was it like growing into your confidence under the public eye with your image always up for perception? Sierra, in the beginning, it was challenging living my life in front of the world. It made me way more guarded. Even when you have your ugliest moments that you wish no one else could see, you don't have a choice. My philosophy is to run towards my fears and the things that make me uncomfortable, so I was running for a while. As a young girl coming up in the industry, I was carrying so much on my shoulders. Eventually, I was like, you know what? This is who I am, and either you like it or you don't. I can't live my life based off what someone thinks or what someone else's comments. Then suddenly, I'll start thinking that in my mind, because words are powerful. I'm also spiritual, so I am who God says I am. No one can take that away from me. When you reach higher heights, the hate grows greater. It doesn't stop. But baby, I'm hater-proof. And even when people say negative things, I think to myself, God bless you. I understand 
You could be going through something, but I'm going to love. And guess what? I'm good. My family loves me. I'm good. God loves me. I'm good. There's nothing you can say that's going to alter that or make me feel any different. The world is so enamored with your love story. It's no secret that you and your husband, Russell, are such a beautiful example of hashtag black love. What's your advice on finding a partner that feels like your equal, Sierra? Don't ignore the signs. Sometimes we want to make things happen with people who only check off a few boxes. Conversation is everything. The first day my love and I talked, I had never had a conversation like that with any other person. You have to really listen to what people are saying. How do they talk about people? How do they love themselves? How do they love others? Are they spiritual? Do how they think align with your thoughts? All these things tell us a lot. When you have that common ground connection, it's more than half the battle. It's less about words because people will sell you a dream and more about what they do. You have to see who someone truly is. And time does tell a lot, you know. But at the same time, the truth could be right in front of us and we're just not opening our eyes. Don't be afraid to be disappointed. I know I'm not perfect, but things work perfectly right for us. I believe there's a person that's perfect for everyone. How has motherhood inspired this next chapter of your life? Being a mom is my most favorite job of all jobs. It's work day in and day out, and it's not easy, but it's so worth it. My family has given me my why. I look at my husband and I'm inspired every day. I'm even more driven because of my children. They make me feel like I'm doing something more in life. Life isn't only about success. I feel very blessed that I've been able to win awards and make hit records. But you know, it only lasts but so long. That's just the truth of it. Don't get me wrong, legacy is forever, but the bond and love I have with my family is even greater than anything I can be given. Ebony, when you were a new mom raising your son future, you spoke so openly about raising him as a single mom. Looking back on that time in your life, what advice would you give to your younger self? Sierra, the journey I went on in front of the world was not the most comfortable. I felt so vulnerable at the moment. What I learned is to embrace the vulnerable times head on. Looking back on that moment in my life, I would tell myself, you're doing good, girl. Everything's going to be all right. There's good in what you're going through, even in our toughest times. There's a scripture I love in the Bible, James 1, 2-4. Consider it pure joy when you face trials and tribulations, because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. It's the reason I named my label Beauty Marks Entertainment. My idea was that all of the scars you get from the obstacles you face in life are your beauty marks. All those moments that didn't feel so beautiful and felt like a flaw are actually beautiful. Your career is continuously evolving with all of your exciting entrepreneurial pursuits. Your love of fashion has expanded into you and your husband's fashion company, the House of LRC, which is focused on pushing philanthropy forward with purpose-driven brands and democratizing the industry. Why was that so important for you to keep sustainability and giving back as core tenants of the fashion house. It's been such an amazing journey building the house of LR&C, especially doing it with my husband, Russ. The house of LR&C stands for love, respect, and care. 
And it's also our signature, love, Russell and Sierra. So there's a double entendre to it. Russell started Good Man Brand before the house existed back in 2014, which I can proudly say is the number one men's brand in Nordstrom. It was only right that there was something for the ladies, so I created my line, L-I-T-A, Lita, which stands for Love is the Answer. As women, we have a special gift to love, and we make a lot of things happen with how we love. The mission is to be a woman's best friend in fashion. Co-founder Christine Day, who we call a retail legend, is a big part of the reason LRNC exists. We decided that this is not going to be a traditional fashion house. We had a passion to impact, so it had to be something greater. Our mission is to have a big impact on people and a low impact on the planet. We are all about practicing sustainability at the highest level, which sometimes costs a bit more when you're doing it right. I really want to make sure the price markings are the best possible for my fans and for every customer. It's the standard that we've set and what we're committed to. All of our products are made from recyclable and reusable material, which was really important to us. We are also a mission-first company, so every time a person purchases anything from the house of LR&C, 3% of what we make goes back to Russell and my Why Not You Foundation, a nonprofit organization providing opportunities to youth fighting poverty. Every little detail can make the greatest difference in the world. What's it like teaming up with your husband on these fashion brands? It's so much fun because we're doing it together. The great thing is that when he and I do anything together, we get to have a little bit of work and play. Luckily, we're equally yoked and our visions are aligned. We have a big vision to create successful businesses. The ultimate goal is to build billion-dollar businesses. For us, this is about creating legacy brands. We have dreams to impact in every way possible. And there's also a family component to it. We want to afford our kids the opportunity to possibly continue our legacy and work for the house of LRNC one day. What motivated you to delve into the world of skincare with the launch of your own line, OAM, Sierra? It started with my own journey and realizing that I needed to take better care of my skin. Being a mom and an entrepreneur, you're going through all the motions, but at the same time, we've got to love on ourselves in the process. So this is a part of my journey of loving on myself. OAM is the acronym for On a Mission. I always say that I'm a woman of ambition on a mission. I wanted to create a collection that was made with amazing products to help give your face a glow up and level up your skincare routine. I call it the simple formula. Sometimes we walk into places in the skincare world and it's overwhelming. I wanted to create a one, two, three step process well, it's a little bit more than two steps, but it's spelled out for you. All the products are clinically tested and dermatologically based, which was important to me. It will transform the skin, which is why vitamin C is an important ingredient throughout the line. The real science behind the formulas and the performance of the products really does speak for itself. There's a lot of thought and intentionality that was put into the products down to the textures. I wanted the cleanser to foam up nicely in your hands, the serum to drip a certain way, and the face cream to feel just right, not too thick or oily. I'm eco-conscious, 
with all the brands that I've been building. So the packaging is all recyclable. This is a long dream come true of mine. I'm excited to share it with the world. You're a beauty icon and always giving us full glam on and off the stage. But when do you personally feel the most beautiful, Sierra? Truthfully, when I'm receiving love from my husband and kids. There's something about it that makes me feel so empowered. I feel like my best self when I'm in that space. Like when my daughter, Sienna, looks at me and she says, Mommy, I love you so much. And I can see the awe in her eyes. It makes me feel like I'm doing something right. When it comes to makeup, I wear very little to nothing. But I had to learn to get to that place. When I was younger, I thought that I needed a full face of makeup to be beautiful. I had to make a conscious effort to feel confident in my skin when I'm more stripped down and fresh-faced. Now, makeup just feels like a bonus. There's also that internal part of it all. Working on myself, my thoughts, and the things I say to myself. All those things matter. Ebony, with several successful businesses under your belt, what challenges have you faced navigating the world of fame and fortune? Sierra, when I was young, I wore my heart on my sleeve. What I realize is when it comes to business, not everyone's going to be as sincere as you are. That was a challenge for me along the way because in some rooms, not everyone deserves to know everything or for you to give them every part of you. You must be selective. It took me a second to understand that, especially as a businesswoman. I learned to take my emotions out of it because business isn't personal. The moment I did it was game-changing. We know that you've been working on your highly anticipated album, and the world is so ready for it. What's the creative process been like for you? Sierra, I'm so excited. It's such a joy to share my music with the world. I never take it for granted. I love being able to create a project and show everyone what I've been vibing to. For my Jump record, it's been so great working with music video director Dave Myers to execute my vision. I think one of the greatest things that came out of the pandemic is realizing we're all much stronger than we thought we were, and we're all trying to find ways to thrive. The world can never have enough joy, the world can never have enough love, and the world can definitely never have enough dance. There's so much energy in this album because I want to make the world dance. That's always been my thinking. It's the tempo and the beat I've been moving to in my music, and the key sentiments I've poured into this album. There is an R&B core in these records. To be honest, this album feels nostalgic. It takes me back to my first album in a way that no project I've done to this point has before. This article is on the cover of Ebony, titled Sierra's Divine Mission, story by Maya Allen, Ebony, September-October 2022, cover story. The last article is titled, Queen Latifah Finally Introduces Us to the Woman Who Keeps Her Hair Laid, written by Kui Mawai, K-U-I-M-W-A-I, Blavity, October 4th, 2022. If there's one thing Queen Latifah is never going to miss on, it's her hair. After we've marveled at her tresses for years, the multi-hyphenate has finally spilled the tea on how she keeps her hair laid to perfection. 2190 reports. In a video making its rounds on social media, Latifah shares that her gorgeous locks are credited to hairstylist 
Aisia Merriweather, I-A-S-I-A. In the video, the 52-year-old snacks on an apple while Merriweather works on her hair. I know you all want to know, who does my hair, she says in the clip. Who gets this color so right? Oh my God, who is she? Later, Latifa introduces Merriweather, calling her an enigma. Merriweather giggles as she combs through Latifa's wet hair. According to IMDb, Merriweather and Latifa go way back. She worked on movies like Bessie, Girls Trip, Just Right, and more. She also worked with a star on her TV appearances, and Merriweather even won a Daytime Emmy in 2014 for her work on Latifah's hair on The Queen Latifah Show. Merriweather was nominated for a Primetime Emmy the following year for her work on Bessie. This isn't the first time Latifah has shown some social media love to her longtime hairstylist. Following her Emmy win, Latifah shared an Instagram post of her different hairstyles to celebrate Merriweather's work. My hair guru, Isia Merriweather, wins daytime Emmy. I love you. Hashtag heart of gold. Though it appears that Latifah's hair has been on point 24-7, thanks to Merriweather, prior to their partnership, that wasn't always the case. She confessed to Essence that early in her career, the back-to-back -back relaxers and heat used to style her hair almost cost her her edges. When I went on television, I started doing my hair so often because I had an album out at the same time. I was doing the show, so my hair was getting done four or five times a week, getting pressed and pressed. My edges started breaking, and I was like, yo, Queen said with her no-nonsense Jersey-bred energy. Now you're talking to hip-hop's Queen Latifah, not Khadija. So I was like, I ain't about to lose edges over no show, she said, according to Essence. What saved her tresses was learning that she needed to grow out her relaxer and give her hair a break every now and again. That, plus Meriwether's expertise, is how the star has maintained her hair's health over the years. According to Meriwether's Instagram, those interested in getting their hair Latifa laid by the stylist can reach out to hair, ECM, I-A-S-I-A-M, at gmail.com for an appointment. This article is titled, Queen Latifah Finally Introduces Us to the Woman Who Keeps Her Hair Laid, by Kui Mawai, Blavity, October 4th, 2022. That's all the time we have for the African American Hour. My name is Rosemary Onkwe. Thanks for joining me.